This week, the Down and Nerdy Podcast is brought to you by Claritin D. And shout out to the folks at Claritin who not just sponsored the show, but also provided some samples as well. Tis the season to breathe pollen. Yeah, I've been spending a lot more time outside. Yeah, I can tell those allergies are definitely acting up. I feel stuffy. I feel sluggish. The eyes are starting to water a little bit more. That's why I'm turning to Claritin D. Look, it's definitely helped me relieve my symptoms. It seems to work really, really fast for me as well. It's designed for serious allergy sufferers. Claritin D has two powerful ingredients in just one pill that relieve your allergy symptoms and decongestion in your nose so you can breathe better. And hey, I'm noticing a lot of that right now. As a matter of fact, I'm looking forward to be able to enjoy much more outdoor time this spring and summer. A lot of that has to do with Claritin D. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Find Claritin D at the pharmacy counter. Ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter. You don't even need a prescription. Go to Claritin.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin clear. Use as directed. Calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Spanning the nerd world and feeding your fandom. It's time for the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Here's your host, James Witham. A new year's about to begin and the fight for the valley is on. It's episode 399 of the Down and Nerdy Podcast. I'm James Witham and we are just a stone's throw away from 2022. Maybe you're already listening to this in 2022 in the future a little bit perhaps well you know that cobra kai the, the next season of cobra kai is now streaming on netflix it's a big one it's team eagle fang and team larusso teaming up against cobra kai the battle of the valley is on and here's a name that you might not be thinking of in this whole thing and that's anthony larusso i've got griffin santo pietro with me this week to talk about this season of cobra kai and yes the LaRusso son could be playing a bigger role in this season. Well, you'll hear what he has to say about that in a few minutes. Since it's been a couple weeks since we've had a brand new episode, and I understand that. And, you know, my apologies for getting last week's episode out a little bit late. We had, you know, some sickness in my house and everything's OK. Don't worry about that. But, you know, wanted to make sure that we had everything going this week. But I want to also take a step back and give my thoughts on the final episode of this first season of Hawkeye. I want to go back and do that. I want to talk about Book of Boba Fett. We're going to talk about that too and talk about Matrix Resurrections as well. So I have my review of all that stuff. Not really any nerd news this week. Yes, I'm going to talk about the Batman trailer, but I'll also talk about some stuff from the past year, stuff that I'm looking forward to in 2022 as well. And I have a couple of thoughts on something that I've been hearing after Spider-Man No Way Home 
And I'll talk about that too as well. But first, it's time to talk Cobra Kai with Griffin Santo Pietro up next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Hi, my name is Mary Mauser from Cobra Kai, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Well, you know, the Cobra Kai is going to be ringing in the new year this year, actually, for season four. And something tells me that there's another member of the LaRusso family that might have a little something to say about it this season. It's Anthony LaRusso himself. Griffin San Pietro, Santo Pietro, how you doing, man? I'm good. I'm good. How are you? I'm doing good. Doing good. So first of all, let's let's backtrack like to the very mm-hmm. very beginning. You find out that you're a part of the show. Were you a fan of the franchise originally, or did you? Because this was obviously like way before you were even born. So how much <laughs> yeah. did you even know about the Karate Kid uh, franchise? Um, I think before season one, I had seen the first, and I think I see the first two. Because my grandpa and I used to watch like older movies. There you um, go. And so I remember distinctly seeing Karate Kid one. I'm pretty sure I saw two, and then I think like a year ago two, I watched three. Oh, and I think three is going to be kind of a big deal this season because, of course, you've got Terry Silver joining yes, the yeah. cast this year. What's it like having some of those members of the? Obviously, we've seen that kind of as a progression throughout the show what's it been like for to see these cast members from those original movies slowly but surely work their way into your series i mean it's crazy you know i mean it was it was weird seeing it for the first time because i think it was i would recently seen part three and i didn't realize how tall he was in real life like he's like really really tall and so it was kind of like weird like seeing him and i was like he's also very scary because he's a really nice guy in real life but very scary on screen but I think throughout the show, just seeing those people like on the show that I was on was just so weird. And is he giving like people ponytail tips and stuff like that? Because you know you see the man bun kind of come up yeah, there. Yeah, yeah, he's got the and ponytail. I know you got a little bit of the longer hair. Like, mm-hmm. is he trying to give you pointers, like style tips and stuff like that? You know, never before. But I'm gonna ask him now. I'm gonna ask if he can if he can show me how to get the the beautiful ponytail that he has. I can't get my hair to do that. It puffs out. It's ridiculous. It's large. It, it's just awful. Yeah. So, you know, we haven't, we didn't see a lot of, we haven't seen a lot of Anthony recently, but Mm. how consciously aware of just how bad things are, how stressful things have been for the family over really the last couple of seasons? Yeah, I would say, like, I guess what we kind of explored was that, like, he doesn't really, like, he's never been too invested in it, but I guess he's kind of been noticing that things aren't great because of Cobra Kai, and obviously, like, his parents kind of like like he was just never really there so he doesn't really know and he's not really he doesn't care but yeah i'm trying to think of what i can say um yeah i think it's just that general idea that he's always been aware that something bad is going on but he just doesn't care <laughs> it's it's funny because so often you see in in certain instances even not just on screen but in life as well you got the kid that's you know all into video games it seems like that's all they care about and then you don't understand that okay, maybe this kid's really good at video games and maybe this is something we need to pay attention to. Could that be something maybe we see creep up with Anthony maybe maybe coming up this season? Uh, I would say definitely like the idea of him, I guess that video game idea of like he's always kind of using like tactics, you know, and stuff. But I would say, you know, we it wasn't just him being into video games anymore. You get to see that he's a little more of a nerd than we knew before. Like he knows more about Dungeons and Dragons and stuff. But He's he's not totally just a gamer anymore, you know. He has more of a social, I guess, world awareness now. <laughs> but he's def- I think that's definitely like just still who he is. He's just a little nerd, you know. 
We could see him rag on his sister a little bit, actually, when the last time we saw him saying that, you know, she was he was disappointed in her and, and, and stuff like that. What is that relationship like, you think, between the two of them? And could we see, because I don't think we've seen enough of that on the show, actually. Could we see more of that this season as well? I, yeah, I want to, I, I want to see more of that as well. Um, in this season, I would say I get to do a lot of good stuff with the family. You know, I think he kind of, he's finally, I mean, obviously he's been a part of the family, but you know, there hasn't always been scenes where the family's really like addressing him, you know? And I think now, especially with like Daniel, you know, they've got some good like father son stuff, but I would say his, his relationship with Sam is pretty, pretty good at this point. You know, they're not can't remember back season. I don't think there's there's not much of him just like ragging on her for no reason. You know, they're just pretty pretty neutral at this point. It's funny because I feel like both the Larusso parents have kind of caught heat, especially from Sam. For I don't want to see him not being available because that's not the right right way to put it. But but kind of not paying enough attention to their own children because of all the craziness that's going on around them. Could we maybe see some of that as far as Anthony's concerned as well? Because there's been a couple times where I've been watching the show. I'm like, um where's anthony (laughs) you guys know he's still there right so could we maybe see some of that creep up as well maybe some anger on his part in that regard we i think there's definitely some stuff where i guess you know the family kind of takes into account like oh we haven't really paid attention to this guy you know what does he have going on and then i think anthony's just had some of that bent up i'm sure there's like a bent up aggression through that you know of like my family doesn't pay attention to me you know but Again, this season, I feel like there's a lot of that, a lot of payoff for that, you know, a lot of like conversations where we don't necessarily say, oh, we've never paid attention to you, but more like, you know, like I finally want to be a part of your life. It's funny because is it almost because you almost get the sense of, OK, well, these kids aren't allowed to be kids because of all the stuff that's that's going mm-hmm. on, all this heavy stuff. Do you kind of feel like him almost being on the outside of all this has actually been better for him. And now he can, now that he's a little bit older, he can start to maybe deal with it a little bit better, but he's kind of stayed away from it before. Has he benefited from that, you think? Yeah, I think that the privilege, I guess, of not being part of the whole fighting aspect is like that he is like just very much a normal kid, you know? And then I do think there's some stuff where because he wasn't a part of that, there's a lot that he doesn't understand about, I guess, respect and responsibility, you know? So I'm sure like there's some characters that have like a good balance of that. And I think, Anthony had very much been on the outskirts of that. So he doesn't really have any of the teachings that would uh, help him in life, but he doesn't have any of the karate stuff that would hinder him, if that makes any sense. <laughs> oh, no, that totally makes sense. Perfect, especially yeah. when it comes to this show. <laughs> yeah, Griffin yeah. Santo Pietro, who's playing Anthony Russo on Carbo Kai. Since the beginning, actually, of course, season four is going to be coming out on New Year's Eve. Now, Griffin, we, we have seen Anthony's not totally disinterested in karate. We've seen him sort of peak his interest a little bit here and there. Could we maybe find out that this kid's got like some secret skills or he's been like peeping in the corner or something and all of a sudden he's just going to come out blazing with all of these karate skills? Well, that I was telling him that's what should happen in the house fight in season three. He should have just come down and just started beating everybody up. That'd be cool if he had just some secret karate. But, you know, I think, yeah, like you said, I mean, he's always had some interest in it, you know? I, and I think, I guess that's more of what I was mentioning earlier. Like, his, I guess his rebelliousness is not he doesn't want to do crowd. He doesn't want to do what his sister's doing. You know, he's very much like marching to the beat of his own drum when it comes to the family tradition, you know, but yeah, yeah. I think that's, that's, uh, that's all I'm supposed to say about that. So, uh, well, let's put it this way. Then Griffin, the actor has to see yes. some of this stuff going on, on these scenes and going, man, <laughs> I want to, I want to do that because I know me sitting at home. I'm like, I, I want to do that without hurting myself. So, but but at the same time, do you, do you see some of these things that, that, that everybody's doing and you're thinking, man, I want to get in on that? 
Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, like, I think it's just part of having a great stud series. I've got like, I think even before, I think even like season three and stuff, I've just gone up to them and been like, Hey, can you teach me something? And they're like, well, we got time. Um, but uh, I think, yeah, I think especially like just, it's so cool to especially watch it, you know, but yeah, I mean, it's me as a person for sure. Anthony, I don't know. <laughs> okay. So I asked this, it's been a while since I talked to Mary Mauser, but I asked her mm-hmm. this when I talked to her, I think a couple seasons ago, because there's been the fan theory for years that Daniel was the real villain of the Karate Kid movies. So are you buying that or are you saying, nah, man, it was clearly Johnny. I want, I want to hear what this son has to man, say. I want to, okay, so I remember, I think season one, my friend had sent me like a video of it, like uh, someone explaining it. And I, it, the aspect is that like, Johnny's life was kind of like fine. He wasn't really harming anyone. And then like Daniel got involved, right? And then that's where it all kind of spiraled out of control. I'm trying to think, I mean, I think there's like, there's definitely that aspect in any like good guy, bad guy film where it's like, if the good guy didn't do what he did, it probably would have been a problem. But I, there were definitely some scenes. I think the shower scene, I think, oh no, no, no. The bathroom scene in the. I know exactly what you're talking about. Yep. That's definitely on Daniel. He, he deserved that. But I'd say with, with some of the other stuff, like Johnny was just being, you know, a jerk. So I think, I think it was pretty, pretty standard. Like I think Daniel was still a good guy, but you know, you could, there's some arguments to be made. I, I I will hear you out. So you're talking like 90, 10, maybe. Yeah, like yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Maybe, maybe even like 80, 20. Okay. You know? We can go as high as 80, 20. See, I'm yeah. team, La- I'm team LaRusso and I don't apologize for it. So, so I'm just, I'm yeah, just, yeah, throwing yeah. It, just throwing it out there. Just keeping it real. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so at the same time, you see these two that have been at odds for so long and now they're, it seems like they're starting to maybe bury the hatch or at least being forced to work together in this upcoming season. How fun was it? to watch Ralph and William and just kind of play off that relationship in this particular season when they realize they kind of have to get along for the greater good. How fun was that to watch them play off of that? That was really fun. I think, cause you know, we, I think, it, you know, the show we've seen them be nice to each other. It's not like they've always been at odds, but I think having them specifically have to be, I guess, I don't know what you describe it as, I guess, sensei together, you know, or be, be some sort of team. I think that's a little more interesting, especially since, they're they have so such differing styles of not only karate just like teaching in general and so it was it was actually really interesting in season four just to watch like them get mad at like butt heads about like what they should do and you know like you have to find some compromises here and there like it's a very interesting dynamic you know it's a buddy cop style i guess oh that's a great way to describe it that's such a cool way to describe i was kind (laughs) of hoping for that so i'm I'm glad i'm glad you said that so yeah. Griffin, you personally, I know that you're, you're a comic book guy, you know, mm-hmm. obviously that's, that's something that we talk a lot about. Is there anything right now that you're specifically really digging that you're a fan of that you, that you would maybe really like to see on screen at some point you'd really like to be a part of? Oh man. I mean, I think wait, right now, the most recent thing I was reading was invincible. I'm, I'm on like, I think I just finished like the second compendium of that. And I'm, I know they're getting a movie, which is going to be pretty exciting. But as for like me, if I could be, do anything, I think Spider-Man is my number one. But, you know, I, we have three of those, so I'll wait on that. I would say Spider-Man. I mean, being any Robin would be cool. Superboy, either of them. I think just doing anything would be pretty awesome. Um, but yeah, I, I've been, especially during quarantine, I read a ton of stuff. So I'm like, <laughs> see, I'm thinking right you're, you're like, you're like almost the right age for like Damien. For like Damien. Yeah, I, for like Damien, I think maybe I'm. 
about the same age as Tim, Tim Drake. You might be um, too nice of a kid to play Damien, though. I don't know. <laughs> we, we, we haven't really seen you get mean in a ton of stuff. So yeah, I guess, you might, maybe I guess you're too nice to be, play Damien. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Damien, I think, um, or Connor Kent, I kind of want to play. That'd be cool. Uh, yep. But like the stupid 90s one with the leather jacket. And the oh, mullet. yes. Like that, that one. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah. love it. I love it. <laughs> do, do you kind of find yourself too? Because I, I know when I was growing up, it was a little bit different for me because it was it was it wasn't as widely available. But do you feel like there's kind of like a okay, there's good comics outside of the the quote unquote big two that that maybe people are missing. And I think Invincible is one of those. Is there anything else that you found outside of maybe the Marvel and DC realm that you're digging that you're like, man, I wish more people knew about this this book or this story. I'm, I'm trying to think. I mean, I'm pretty. I stick pretty much to big two. I think Image Comics. I read like spawn i'm so yeah i i read mostly like image comics outside of that but i've heard there's some good dark horse stuff but i don't know there's a lot of stuff there's a lot like i feel like it's very jarring if you're like if you haven't been doing it for a while and you're just trying to start so i think starting with the big two is a good idea but there's like I don't, there's so many comic books dude there's so many there is a ton and there's some good stuff in the big two too i'm not saying there is. yeah there, there's yeah, definitely yeah, yeah, some yeah. good stuff in the big two as well so griffin before i let you go new year's eve when you're going to be rocking the, the, the binge for season four of Cobra Kai, what is the one, what is, give me, give me a little bit of how you would describe Anthony in season four of Cobra Kai without spoiling anything. Okay. I would describe Anthony as, I would describe what we're doing with him as more of like finally giving him like the attention that he hasn't been getting from his parents. And I, one thing I do like about season four, there's a good balance of like him doing stuff with his parents and him doing stuff like kind of on his own, you know? There's some good, yeah, there's, there's a lot of good chemistry. I would say like I got to work with some really great people and I think it's going to really show up well on screen. And yeah, I would say you just finally get to know more about him as a person, know more about how maybe he isn't just the meanest person in the world like we've been, like he's been shown to be. And I do like that we kind of tell his story of not just like this total piece of crap kid, but more of like a kid who has kind of just been influenced by some classmates that, you know, no one really wants to be around you know oh i do and hopefully we'll all find out on new year's eve maybe you start your binge midday and then you'll get yourself right up to when the ball drops for yeah. cobra kai <laughs> yeah. season four and uh, hopefully we're going to see a lot more of this guy it's griffin santo pietro thank you so much man for joining me i appreciate thank it. you thank you for having me you know it's funny with all the things that are happening in this season of cobra kai that we've seen in the trailers and the teasers and stuff like that it's easy to, and you can even see in the LaRusso family, how Anthony could kind of just get lost in the shuffle, right? So I'm very interested to see how they bring him into the fold more in this season to see, you know, Griffin did a great job not spoiling anything and teasing stuff that we might be seeing in this season, but how he's going to be a little bit more a part of the fold than he was before. And it would, will there be any resentment there? Is he kind of marching to the beat of his own drum? That's a side story. I'm re I've really been interested in. And even last season, I was really wondering where he was. So, I mean, it wouldn't be the first time that the LaRussos were accused of being a little neglectful of their kids. I'm just kind of see how curious to see how this shakes out. But I mean, come on the, the big battle for the Valley. It's hard to argue with that regardless. Season, this season of Cobra Kai is going to be another incredible one on Netflix, and I can't wait to see how it shakes out and shapes the future. Thanks again to Griffin Santo Pietro for joining me this week to talk about Cobra Kai. Up next, how about we dive into The Matrix Resurrections? Was it a worthwhile sequel? I'll let you know my opinion next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. This is Jay Taylor from The Magicians, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. 
After all these years, it's time to get plugged in again. The Matrix Resurrections, of course, in theaters and on HBO Max right now. And yes, Keanu Reeves is back. Carrie Ann Moss is back. Everybody's back. Got the band back together for this one. And I wanted to give my spoiler-filled review of this movie. And I, I'll, will, I will admit this right off the bat, okay? I hyped this up way too much. As a big fan of the Matrix franchise... I hyped this up way too much in my head, first of all. Second of all, I was just way too excited to get another Matrix movie. I don't know why I did this to myself, and so maybe this will be a little bit unfair on my behalf. But it just felt like this just didn't feel like a Matrix movie to me fully. And I'm going to... Let me explain that, because... Basically, you know, you bring the premise back a little bit, right? Because you're trying to decide, you know, he's trying to decide whether or not he's, you know, part of the the illusion of the Matrix or not. Again, you know, you, you've got a chance to follow the White Rabbit again. Okay, you know, you, you're, you're giving me all the right signals. But then the first 45 minutes, at least, of this movie were one of the biggest drags of almost any movie I've seen in the last several years. This thing dragged so hard when it shouldn't have, by the way, because there were some decent action sequences in that first bit. But at the same time, if I'm 45 minutes into a movie and I've already paused it twice to see how long I've been watching it, that's not a good sign. Okay, that is a terrible sign, as a matter of fact, and they don't really explain anything in that first 45 minutes. That's the other crazy part, and it takes that long for you to, and, and what's funny is is that around the, I want to say like, I don't know, 30 minute mark or something, or somewhere along those lines, between the 30th and the 40th minute is when I go, okay, here we go, It's we're finally going to start, we're finally going to get moving on this thing. And then you just don't. It's like they jump right back into the the BS of what just kind of didn't need to be done in the first place. And it just drove me nuts. And then by the time it finally did get going, I was kind of out of it. And that sucks because I really wanted to be excited about this thing. But, you know, the whole... Neo and Trinity don't remember who they are kind of thing. And then it's, you know, they touch hands and she does the whole, do I know you from somewhere thing? And it's like, really? We're doing that? You make Thomas Anderson a video game designer and he designs a game called The Matrix and you spend part of your movie actually making fun of the fact that you're going to do a sequel and, and Keanu Reeves' character, excuse me, um, Mr. Anderson has... I call him Mr. Anderson because I'm looking at Agent Smith's picture right now. But he, So he has like this PTSD about whether or not he's seeing things again or did he really experience this and that's why he's in therapy. So he has anxiety about doing a sequel for a game that he's already done. It's like you're projecting the anxiety of, the anxiety of your fan base and maybe, you know, of... And I would never put words in his mouth, but well, I, then I won't put it in, in his. Anybody coming back for this movie, ramping up their real-life anxiety as to whether or not this is a good idea in the first place. It's almost like you're putting it in the movie because you're trying to convince yourself 
in scenes in the movie that this is a good idea or not. Did you take the pitch meetings and throw them on there and make them scenes in the in the movie? Because I could have done without that. I'm not totally upset that they made this whole video game aspect. Not totally upset about that. It seems a little lazy to me, but not totally upset about that. But the fact that you kind of made fun of it, the fact that they wanted to do a sequel sequel after so many years, and, you know, is this a good idea or not, and how should we do this, and let's make it totally different than what it was before, that's the thing I definitely have a problem with. I don't know why you would do that at all. And then you make Agent Smith ends up being like his boss or whatever at the at the video game play the the CEO of the video game establishment. It's like really come on guys. It, that's what we're doing. And I I'm sorry but Yaya Abdul Mateen who I loved in this movie by the way, don't get me wrong. Him as young Morpheus was like the worst kept secret ever. It's like you absolutely knew from the get-go that that's who he was going to be. They tried to hide it. Didn't work out well. They didn't try to hide it in the movie. I'm talking about in the lead up to the movie. That just didn't work. My favorite character in this whole movie, though, was Bugs. So hats off to Jessica Henwick. I really, really enjoyed Bugs and, and her spirit. I just love that character. I love the, the, the look of the character as well. There's so many things about that character worked for me. I, I, I wish that they'd almost kept the original cast out of it and made it so it was about Bugs and and her partners and stuff like that. I almost wish that they did it that way and and almost made Neo as almost like this shining example of what they're trying to live up to and, instead of actually being a character in the movie. It didn't really make sense to me that they did it that way. I don't know why. It's it, it, That's the frustrating part here is that you could have almost rebooted this without rebooting it. And that's not what they did. They tried to give you the best of both worlds of, oh, here's some new characters and we're going to reboot this thing. But then we're also going to use the same characters that we used in the original movie. And we're going to drag this thing out forever because this might be the only one of these we get to do sort of thing. Yeah, we're still going to leave the door open to maybe do more. The problem with this thing overall as they couldn't decide what on earth they actually wanted to do. And they didn't really think it through. And they just threw it out there, threw it on a screen and said, well, hopefully people will like it. And there were some things to like about it. That's the crazy part is that there were some crazy things to like about it. But you gave me so many things that frustrated me or made me scratch my head or just didn't make sense that by the time I got to those parts that were good, I either didn't care anymore or I was just out of it. And they didn't have the impact that they probably should have had in the first place. So I don't know why they looked at this and actually once they got to the point of let's make this movie thought, let's just go ahead and do this because it seems like they kind of knew and were telling us that they shouldn't have done this in the first place. And then they went ahead and did it anyway and hoped for the best. And I kind of feel bad for Keanu Reeves who I Keanu Reeves did everything he could in this movie. I think Carrie Ann Moss did as well. I think everybody did exactly what they were trying to do with this movie. It's just one of those instances where you made something that was way longer than it had to be. You tried to shove way too many angles and ideas at the whole thing, and it just ended up blowing up in your face. It happens sometimes, but this this is one this is one of those movies that people will point to 
in the future and say, see, this is why you don't revisit movies and do them 10 or 15, 20 years later because it doesn't work out because, you know, hey, look at Matrix Resurrections. Look what they tried to do there. They ended up trying to do too much and they messed it up. So this is one of those shining examples of why you don't do this. There are other examples of, of how it can work out and be done very well. This is unfortunately not one of them. Was it a terrible movie? No, they definitely had parts of it that felt like a Matrix movie and that felt like a good movie, but they just were completely diminished by the poor choices that were made throughout it, throughout the rest of the movie. So unfortunately, not a huge fan of the Matrix Resurrections. I'm kind of hoping that they realize the error of their ways here and kind of decide to stick this franchise on the shelf. I can still go back to loving the other movies. I've got no problem with that. And I would never tell you to not see a movie. Go ahead, see it, judge it for yourself, and tell me why I'm wrong if you think I'm wrong. But just it, this just did not work for me. Hopefully it works for you. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it. Or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz and how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. That's going to do it for my spoiler-ish review of Matrix Resurrections. Up next, let's dive into the book of Boba Fett. Start turning those pages next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. This is Lady Ann Burns from Lucifer, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Who will rule the underworlds of Tatooine? Oh, it is the book of Boba Fett. The first episode has finally dropped on Disney+. And yes, we have Tamara Morrison back as Boba Fett and Ming-Na Wen as Fennec Shand. And I have to tell you, first of all, can I just say that my decades-long theory that Boba Fett never died in Return of the Jedi panned out. I was one of the few people in my circle of friends that argued that Boba Fett never died. Now, did I know exactly how he got out? No. But I was of the mind that he somehow survived that altercation. Nobody ever believed me. And then we get to see... It play out how exactly he survived the Sarlacc pit. Now, whether you agree with how he got out or not, doesn't matter. Because he got out. And it's perfectly reasonable to me, right? And you're like, well, how was he alive in there? And nobody else seemed to be. Let's not tug at that thread, shall we? The, 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 the point of the story is, is that he got out in a pretty epic way. And I've got to tell you, the, the whole, you know hand punching through the sand thing and like quivering to be like, I'm alive. That never gets old for me. I know that that's a TV and movie trope. I don't care. For some reason, that never gets old to me. I hope that that never goes away. And I mean, it is like 2022 now and they've been doing this for decades. I don't think that that's going anywhere anytime soon. But I do like the fact that we got some flashbacks in this. I know that it can be a little bit annoying sometimes when you go from flashback to real time and stuff like that. All right, I understand that. 
But at the same time, I also think that it's a completely necessary thing for a couple of reasons. First of all, it shows you that Boba Fett went through some shit. All right. Once he got out of that Sarlacc pit, he went through a lot. It, it, clearly. And we haven't even scratched the surface yet. We just see in the first episode what he went through to just survive. And then, of course, getting grabbed by the Tusken Raiders and things like that. And I'll get to them here in just a second. But just to see kind of what he went through just to survive that whole thing. It, it, it just goes to show you why he is... Well, a partial part of the reason why, anyway, he is the the man that he is today, and I also think that it kind of speaks to how he wants to rule, right? And that's part of the crux of this episode in the present time, right? Is that Boba kind of feels like he wants to rule one way because he's taken Jabba's throne, whether or not it should be his or not, he's taken it. So the whole point is is that the way he wants to rule. And the way Fennec thinks he needs to present himself. Not necessarily how he should rule, but how he needs to present himself. And it's the whole, well, this is the way the Jabba did it versus well, this is the way I want to do it. Jabba wrote, now, one of the things in the episode that I, and I, you know, I don't really go and quote things from episodes and stuff like that. But I like how he said Jabba ruled with fear. I want to rule with respect. Now, why does he want to do that? Maybe it's because partially of what he went through with the Tuscans and how that whole thing evolved, right? Because we get to see that evolve in that first episode as well, right? They kind of treat him poorly when he's the prisoner at first. And, you know, they've got the kid guarding him, so there's a lack of respect element there sort of thing. You get to see him get his ass handed to him at one point when he tries to escape. So there's all of these different things where they don't treat him with respect until he saves one of their own. Until he saves the kid, right? And then there's an all newfound respect and they start to treat him differently. There's that word for like the sixth sixth time in the last couple of sentences that I said, right? Respect. So he sees how quickly the tide can turn based on respect in that instance. Now, the Tusken Raiders, we were brought up from the beginning of our Star Wars fandom to believe that they were wackos. And they were just these mindless killing machines, right? But then the Mandalorian kind of flipped the page on that a little bit and told us there's a little bit more to the Tusken Raiders than we actually knew. I don't even call them sand people anymore, which is the crazy thing, right? Because that's what they—that's what we call them, right? But I, I don't just—I call them the Tusken Raiders now. For some reason, that's kind of where I'm at with that. I don't know why, but that's it's kind of flipped a page in my brain. And credit to, to John Favreau and the gang— and Roberto Rodriguez as well for, you know, painting a different picture of those characters. And I, I think that that picture is very much, you know, not painted completely yet. I think we're going to see a lot more of that as these episodes unfold. But you also get to see how it affects everyone else around Boba Fett, how what he wants to do. Like when he decides to save the Gamorreans, right? And Fennec immediately says to him, this is a bad idea. And that was a sign, to, you know, a sign of weakness to those around him, right? So you see the assassination attempt because of that. And I think that that's certainly not going to be the first one. And what we also, he's, he's also not showing is that he's still not 100%. Boba is still not 100%. Now, granted, it's not like he's, you know, there's no scars, from anything that he went through in that we saw in the Mandalorian for one 
and for two, what he went through even before that. He's certainly not back to 100%, maybe never will be, right? But of course, you don't show weakness in front of the masses, right? So who was behind the assassination attempt? Was it this mayor that we've been hearing some about that's kind of pushing back on Bobo a little bit, you know, because he is supposed to be the crime lord. He's the one that's supposed to be ruling the roost, and that is not exactly what's happening in the in the early going out with the mayor. Anyway, so it'll be interesting to see how that kind of unfolds and who is behind what and everything like that. But I got to say, I love this style. I love the fact that we're not veering too far off of the of stylistically anyway of what they were doing with the Mandalorian, but I feel like this show has its own mood and its own tenor, which I think is really really neat. I think that I like that we're getting a more personal story for Boba Fett and not just the underworld itself, not just the the assassins and the crime lords and things like that. But I do want to see more of that. I've been waiting for an organized crime style Star Wars movie or series for a while, and I figured this would probably be, be probably be it. I want to see more of that, and I, we just we saw little bits and pieces of that start to unfold in this episode, but not quite a ton yet. I think they needed to show us a peek behind the curtain of Boba's character first, and now I think we're going to start to peel through the layers of what we're going to have after that. But I got to tell you, I think a solid start. To book a Boba Fett, I wasn't expected to have a, a ton of wow moments in this first episode only because I figured there would be some stage setting here. So I wasn't going into this expected to be blown away. I loved the big monster battle there towards the end of the episode where he has that moment where he's just, you know, he has that redemption moment with the Tuscans. And I wouldn't mind learning more about the Tuscans as well, too, because you, we saw the chief and a little bit more of an inside look at them, I think, is a really, really cool side story that we're going to get here as well. And, of, and of course, Ming-Na Wen is fantastic. I would not mess with Ming-Na Wen in real life, never mind any of her characters. I mean, she's got this embedded into her DNA at this point, wouldn't you think, right? And I've met Ming-Na Wen. She's very sweet, and she's been a blast to talk to, but I would not mess with her at all. But I think great start for the Book of Boba Fett makes you watching every Wednesday on Disney+. Plus. That's going to do it for my spoiler-filled review of the first episode of The Book of Boba Fett. Up next, let's turn the page, shall we, and talk about Hawkeye. I haven't gotten a chance to do it yet, so allow me to indulge in a little spoiler-filled chat about that, too, on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. I'm writer Margaret Scott, and this is the Down and Nerdy Podcast. You've already unwrapped all your gifts, but it's still Christmas time in the Barton household. I want to go back and give a spoiler-filled review of the Hawkeye series, the last couple of episodes. Anyway, since I didn't get a chance to talk about those, and I know I've talked a lot about the episodes of Hawkeye, but I got to tell you, for some reason, I've been enjoying this show so much, and I think a lot of that has to do with the characters. I, I mean, I've loved pretty much all of them, and I would I will say this right now, and again, spoilers from here on out, I would watch a show just with Yelena and Kate right now and I'm talking about or movie doesn't matter Florence Pugh and Haley Steinfeld together were so amazing for me in these latter episodes of Hawkeye their chemistry was just so so good in every scene that they were in I would watch that pairing in almost anything as as a matter of fact think about it you had the Clint Barton 
a Natasha Romanoff pairing, right? That was the Hawkeye Black Widow pairing that we had for so many years with the Avengers. If we had that pairing again with Yelena and Kate, I would be so happy. You have no idea. If that's the second season of Hawkeye or if that's where the story is going, I would be thrilled with that. Do I think that's where they're going? I don't necessarily believe that they are, which kind of bums me out a little bit, but I'm willing to let it slide right now because I can, I'll still hold out hope for it a little bit. I don't think we're done with this pair completely, but I don't think it's going to be something that we're going to see a ton of. But just watching their chemistry, especially when they were, and I use air quotes here, fighting when she was trying to keep Yelena from getting to Clint in the first place to kill him. That was just, that was hilarious. For me, I really, really loved that. And just Haley Steinfeld in general, cementing her spot in the MCU as far as I'm concerned. I had high hopes for her anyway as Kate Bishop. This left no doubt. She's got the wise cracking down. When things got serious, she was able to get serious. She was able to get tough. I believed every single moment from her in this episode. When at the end, she has to send mom off to prison. That was really, really compelling stuff. And really, really incredible on how she dealt with that. I thought that, that was amazing. And I did love that little twist, by the way, for anybody that wasn't familiar anyway, with Eleanor Bishop being the 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 mastermind behind basically everything with Kingpin. I thought that that was really, really neat that they did that. And then you get, you know, you got Jack Duquesne gets his due. A little bit, a little sword action from Tony Dalton, which was pretty amazing there. I really loved how they brought those scenes in together. But... The really heartbreaking thing, and I'm glad that they did this, was the moment between Yelena and Clint when it's the do I kill him or not kind of moment, right? And then, the you know, he kind of bears his soul to her about Natasha and, and vice versa, and they get to get the feelings completely out of the way from the both of them. And, you know, there were tears shed, and of course she decides to, to spare him, obviously, but... I, I thought that that was a really, really key scene and an amazing moment. I mean, also and more amazing moments. I mean, with with Maya Lopez and Alakwa Cox, who does. I can't wait to see more of her as Echo. And you get to see her confront everybody in her life that lied to her about what happened to her dad. And that was another great scene too, when Ronan confronts her, when Clint Barton confronts her as Ronan. And basically tells her, you've been lied to the entire time. And she needs to decide whether or not she believes him. Because she could just flat out not believe him at all, right? But something in her, it's like they always, she always knew something wasn't quite right about what happened to her dad. So she kind of tugged at the thread a little bit. And that just unraveled everything in her life. And after what she does or doesn't do to Kingpin and what happens to him or doesn't happen to him. That's where the series is going to continue, I'm sure, for Echo coming up. And I have to say, it was just so nice seeing Vincent D'Onofrio in that role again. I don't know that anybody else could ever play Kingpin again. I know that's heavy-handed, but he's just got that role down so much. And when he's just tossing Kate around like a freaking rag doll, right, and then they hit him with the car, he still gets up from that and walks away. It's just incredible how he's just such a mountain of the man and how the MCU got this character so right from the very start. They got Kingpin right from Daredevil on. There was not a single moment of Kingpin 
that I thought to myself, you know, that, that just doesn't seem right. That just doesn't jive for me. No, they got that freaking character right in spades. And I got to commend them for that. Now, will we see him again? Doesn't seem like it, but maybe we will. Who knows? I mean, we're slowly starting to get these characters from the Netflix series into the MCU. And yes, it is the same one. And, and that's something that we can be celebrating too. So I don't know. I, there's a lot of wait and see that came from Hawkeye. But there, again, just so many enjoyable moments in this series. I love the callback with the track suits when, when he says, oh, I talked to my girlfriend and you gave me great advice when he was talking to Kate when they were fighting. I thought that was really funny. It was a good callback there. And just the Barton family in general. I just There's something about that relationship and that family that I've just always really, really loved. And I mean, I think that what we don't, who we don't give enough credit to, I think, is Linda Cardin, Cardinalini, who plays Laura Barton. I don't think we give her enough credit for the role that she played in this series and, and maybe has played for a while now. And that not only is she the rock, she's the ultimate supporter of Clint and the place where when he's at his darkest moments, he knows that there's somebody there waiting for him with holding a light at the end of the tunnel. And if you've got one of those people in your life, you hang on to that because not everybody does. Think about what would have happened to Clint Barton if he didn't have Laura. That's just, it's mind-blowing. And, and you kind of take that for granted, right? Especially after everything he went through with, you know, not just with, with Natasha and everything like that, but, but then, you know, before even before that, the things that he went through in his life, how do you combat that mentally? You have that rock. You have that light that you find. And and that's Laura Barton, for lack of a better way of putting it. And, you know, to, to a certain extent, the rest of his children as well. But definitely Laura, because you can't go home and talk to your kids about some of the stuff that he's gone through. You don't want to scare your kids like that. I mean, they'll find out eventually, I'm sure. But at the same time, you don't want to put that on your kids either. So, uh, just, I, I thought this was a great story, family. I thought they worked the holidays in just enough, but not a ton. Like when she has to cut the tree down and melt it to kind of get him out of the tree and save Clint when Kate has to do that. I thought that was really, really fun. I loved the trick arrows a ton. I thought that was really, really neat. Then we got that. The new suits were fresh. I liked that. It was it was a good look. I'm I'm happy that they went ahead and did that. And it didn't feel like a turning of the page necessarily. It didn't feel like a, a true passing of the torch. It certainly is, I'm sure, but it didn't have that stereotypical passing of the torch moment, I don't think, that you would normally see in shows like this. So, And in situations like this, too. And I love that they didn't do that. I love that they didn't cheapen it like that. And that, yes, we're going to see a lot more of Kate Bishop going forward. But that doesn't mean we're just going to forget about Clint Barton entirely in, in this whole thing. So I think that there's a lot of respect there that was built. I like that they went with that angle as well. And just the confidence that Kate seemed to have. And then it, it broke a little bit. And then Clint brings her right back. Just beautiful. And by the way, we need to start taking LARPers way more seriously, as far as I'm concerned, based on what we saw from the Hawkeye series. So bravo to everybody involved in the Hawkeye series. I thought it was well done from start to finish. 
and hopefully we'll see more of these characters sooner rather than later. That's going to do it for my spoiler-filled review of the Hawkeye series from Disney+, Plus, which, is, of course, is now streaming in its entirety. Up next, kind of some nerd, nerd news, but also kind of just a little bit of discussion of what's to come. I'm James Witham, and this is the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Hi, I'm Simone Missick from Marvel's Luke Cage, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. The bat and the cat will be here in the new year. It's time for nerd news-ish, kind of, because there's really no news to talk about other than the Batman trailer. So I'll be talking about some stuff that I'm looking forward to in the next year and things like that after this. And I'm going to get into some No Way Home stuff, too. But first, I want to talk about the new trailer for the Batman, which, of course, will be in theaters from Warner Brothers Pictures on... March the 4th of 2022, and dare I say, I'll just give you a little preview, the most anticipated movie release of 2022. With all due respect to everybody at Marvel Studios and anything else that might be coming out from DC and, you know, Jurassic Park and all that stuff, yeah, this is the most anticipated because nobody really knows what to expect. This, for the first time in a long time, feels like the most different Batman movie that we've ever gotten. Maybe, maybe ever. We won't know until we actually see it. But what we did get to see in this new trailer is a lot more of Zoe Kravitz's Catwoman, a lot more of the Selena Kyle, and how their relationship, her relationship with Bruce Wayne, is going to kind of weave its way through. And it does look like a very uneasy relationship at first, which is good because that's the way it should be, right? You've got vigilante and villain, or is she a villain? In this particular scenario, we don't really know for sure. I mean, to the degree that in certain stories, she's ever really been the villain. Obviously, you know, there was a certain time in the comics and and other and other times where she was Catwoman's villain. But then there's been other times where it's like, eh, not sure. So we're going to play the not sure game on this one with their relationship and as to whether or not she's a villain. We do get to see them fighting on, on a couple of occasions, but that's beside the point. Maybe she's only a a a goody goody when it's for the greater good. Maybe that's part of the thing because you see how we also get to see plenty of Edward Nashton, the Riddler character in this, that will be in this Matt Reeves movie. And boy, does he seem like a nasty customer. I mean, just so almost Zodiac esque mixed with the Riddler. Isn't it very, very creepy and very, very just dark. The darkest Riddler we're ever going to get, probably. That that I think we can pretty much be assured of. I don't think that there's. I don't think I'm really going on a limb there. But I really, really dig the vibe from Catwoman in this trailer. I think that that was a really, really important thing to get out there because you don't want to reveal too much about your movie, obviously, at this point. But to get the vibe of what the character is going to be like out there, I think is really interesting. For anybody that's complaining about the costume, remember, we're talking about year two here. This is year two Batman, so kind of around the same time Catwoman, okay? Ease up a bit. Plus, it seems like we're going a little bit more realistic, or I should say grounded, in this Matt Reeves version anyway. So I wasn't really expecting anything, you know, over the top. For the costume design. Plus, I really don't have a problem with it anyway. But I love the little dance that we get to see them do. I love the the when you see Robert Pattinson as Bruce Wayne. And you, you kind of get the... You, you see in his face that he's not really sure about her. And we know that 
there's some sort of a secret that Alfred's been keeping from Bruce. And I think it has to do with the Wayne family because the, the whole, you know, you're a Wayne and you don't do as much for the city as your parents did sort of thing kind of creeps in here too. So I'm, I'm going to be very interested to see what kind of decisions that Matt Reeves makes in that regard, because that's kind of where it seems like it's going. And I'm not exactly sure, like a hundred percent sure that's where it's going or how that's going to play out. But I'm very curious to see how Matt Reeves makes those decisions coming up for this movie. But I got to tell you, I, I can't remember the last time I was this hyped for a Batman movie only because, you know, Batman begins. I wasn't like super hyped for it. Obviously it was a Batman movie and I was happy that we were getting one, but I don't remember being like hyped for this one. I'm hyped for, for the first movie and what hopefully is many from Matt Reeves, because I'm really digging what I've seen so far from the Batman again, March 4th in theaters only keep that in mind, at least in the early going anyway, speaking of in theaters, only the record setting most Record-setting box office for Sony Pictures ever is Spider-Man No Way Home with a nice wink and a nudge and a nod to Marvel Studios as well. Let's just face facts here, right? Because without that, I don't think that this happens. But the reason I want to bring this up is a couple of things that I've seen ever since No Way Home came out. You know, the, the, the reactions started to come out and the articles started to get written and stuff like that. And there's a couple of pet peeves that have just popped up of mine that I really need to get off my chest here. The first of which is the whole, oh, Andrew Garfield is, spoilers, by the way, Andrew Garfield's finally been redeemed, blah, blah, blah. Listen, I understand that the Amazing Spider-Man movies were not everybody's favorite, okay? They weren't my favorite either. I really dug the first one, villain aside, I dug the first one, okay? So here's the problem. I never really felt like Andrew Garfield was the problem with those movies in the first place. The villains and the casting of the villains and how the villains were portrayed were the biggest problems for me. That's number one. Number two is it's not like Andrew Garfield up and decided on set one day, I'm going to be a douchebag Peter Parker and I'm going to stalk Gwen Stacy. Those are two things that a lot of people had a problem with when it came to those movies. That was not an Andrew Garfield problem. That's direction and writing. That's what that is. It is not an Andrew Garfield problem. It's not his fault. He was played he played the character he was given. Be mad at the person who created said character and said persona. That's who you should be upset with, not the actor who portrayed him. I see that a lot in criticisms of movies and things like that. And this is not one of those times where it applies. Now you can be upset with the performance and say, it's not true to the character. If it's portrayed that way by the actor, I don't, I do honestly don't believe that's what happened in this case. I really, really don't. So the, I think Andrew Garfield takes a lot more heat than he probably should because you're the title character. It's like being the quarterback of an NFL football team or a head coach where you're going to take the flack for it regardless of whose fault it is just because you're Spider-Man. You're the star. This is your fault. Unless it's the villain. You know, when it's the villain's fault, you know, you see the villain take heat for it as well. But it's like to me in the Fantastic Four movie, let's compare. Again, that's a, hey, you want to talk about a scary comparison. Let's face it. The two Spider-Man movies were leaps and bounds better than the Fantastic Four movie. But... I'd criticize Kate Mara, for example, 
for her portrayal of Sue Storm because I thought it was very wooden and just not in keeping with the character. It just had no personality whatsoever. And part of that was writing, but I just thought that she just didn't bring it. And that was just, and of course, my opinion. Whereas Andrew Garfield, I think that he gave us what he was told to give us. Period. And there were times where he was not bad either. There were times where he was good, but there were also plenty of times where you go, okay, well, yeah, I don't like this Peter Parker. Well, it's not his fault. Okay. So let's back off the whole Andrew Garfield was the problem with the Amazing Spider-Man thing. Okay. Can we back off of that finally? Because clearly, if given the right set of circumstances, he can do well in that role. Now, granted, it's not a whole movie, but still, I think the point is finally made. So can we finally back off of Andrew Garfield and walk back some of that criticism from years ago? Because I think it's time to do that at this point. Here's the other thing when it comes to No Way Home. And this is where you you might get mad at me even more than you already are. It's time to stop the whole theatrical experience argument thing. And I know that there's plenty of directors and actors and producers of the like saying, my movies need to be shown in theaters because that's exactly the way that they were intended to be made. First of all, I don't think anybody's really gone into a movie thinking, you know what, I need to make sure this looks great on somebody's phone. Nobody does that. I think we all understand that if you're going in to make a movie, the first thing you're thinking is, I want this to look grand on the big screen or on any screen, okay? So let's just walk back that whole idea, okay? It's no, and, if you, and if you go into a movie making it, knowing that you're not making it for the big screen, and therefore you back off of what you would normally do because of that, that's on you as a filmmaker, not on anybody else. So let's put that out there too while we're at it. Now, as I go on with this, we are we have been in the middle of a pandemic for what seems like half of our lives, okay? And, and uh, I'm just saying that's how it feels. We're going into year three at this point, and it's it's you know it's not fun. But you see so many other movies that have failed to hit certain benchmarks. You've seen low box office numbers and the like all over the place for various reasons, you know, most of which have to do with the pandemic. And then you see Spider-Man No Way Home, which I granted is a very unique animal in a, in a movie in that the, it is a big crescendo. There was a lot of hype surrounding it. They threw everything they had at this one. I understand that. But made record box office numbers in less than two weeks where a lot of other movies failed to do so. Okay, and I'm not going to compare this to certain times in the pandemic and all this other stuff and pre and post vaccine, blah, 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 any of that stuff. Okay, we're not going to go. We're not going to be a medical show here. What I'm trying to tell you is, regardless of the circumstances, if people really want to see something in a movie theater, they're going to go. Okay, now I know what you're going to say. Well, Spider-Man No Way Home was only available in movie theaters. Where else were they going to see it? People have been waiting. Do you not realize that people have been waiting for certain movies to either hit streaming or video on demand services or what have you, because they don't want to go to the movie theater to see it for whatever reason that they choose. Okay. So it's time to stop acting like the theatrical experience is going to go away. If you have some of the release models that we've seen 
during the pandemic, whether it be dual release on streaming or whether it be, you know, release on, on, you know, you in the theaters for a couple of weeks, then on video on demand after that, or on streaming after that, whatever. What I'm saying is, is that first of all, movies make their most money in the first two weeks anyway. Let's just put that out there too. It's not like you're making a ton of money after that. Okay, there's usually a 50 to 60% drop off from week one to week two, and then it really fizzles after that. So you're not making a ton at that point anyway. What I'm saying is, is that, and maybe this is selfish for me, maybe this kills my argument completely, because I'm somebody who has three kids and a family at home, and it's really difficult for me to get to a movie theater for what seems like seven hour movies now, because every movie is like two and a half hours long now which is great in some circumstances and some circumstances not so much. But it's hard to be able to commit that much time to go to, to a theater when you've got a family at home and you're, you know, you, maybe you need to pay babysitters and the like, and I know I'm not the only one. So if you're mad at me for this, you probably don't have kids and don't, you know, you just kind of don't get it. And good for you if you can go to the theater whenever you want. Let we, the, You know, people that make movies count on you. Go. Nobody's stopping you from going. I'm just saying is if you really want to go to a theater go. But for those of us who either it's difficult to get to the theater or maybe, you know, because of the pandemic, you're just not ready to go to the theater yet. For whatever reason, you're not able to go or you don't want to go is fine. You should want people to see your movies in one way or another. You're going to find a way to make money for your movie. Maybe we don't need to spend, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars to make and market certain movies. Let's keep that in mind too. Your profit margin can still be hit if you're not overdoing it. And a lot of times it doesn't need to be overdone. Spider-Man No Way Home absolutely needed to do what they did and overdo it. That needed to be done. Doesn't need to be done for most other movies. Can we agree on that? So it's time to stop acting like the people who really want to go to the movies will stop going because it's more convenient for them to do something else. The people that are making the argument for the theatrical experience that don't make movies are people that are going to go anyway. So Spider-Man No Way Home proved that now. This has now been proven that you can make money in the theater if you're making a good quality movie that people really want to see no matter what's going on. So maybe make more of those kinds of movies and put those in the theater instead of whining about somebody not going to see a romantic comedy in a theater because it just doesn't seem like it's worth their time and, and money. I'm just saying. I needed to get that off my chest. Hopefully you're not too upset with me about it. Really quickly, I want to talk about some stuff that I'm really looking forward to coming up next year. Speaking of theaters, I already said, I already talked about the Batman. I think we've got Shazam coming next year as well, as well as the Aquaman sequel. Looking forward to both of those because I think I'm very, I'm, I'm more interested to see where they're going to go with Aquaman because do you, do you bring back Black Manta? Do you keep that villain alive and that story going or do you go a little bit of a different direction? I really hope we get more Black Manta back in that movie. Shazam, I just think it's going to be another fun ride, so I have no qualms about that at all. Of course, Jurassic World Dominion is something that I feel like we've been waiting forever for. I'm really looking forward to that and seeing how that's going to jive. Also, the Top Gun sequel, I'm very curious to see how that's going to go. I don't. Maybe they'll push that again. Who knows? They've already pushed it a couple times already so those movies off the top of my head 
ones that I'm really looking forward to seeing. Plus, I'm also really curious to know how DC and Marvel Studios specifically are going to be able to manage all of these releases that are now getting crammed into 2022 and see how that's going to work out. I think we've got Thor Love and Thunder coming up this year as well. It's hard to keep track of all the movement of the box office stuff and all the movies that have been moved around. So I'm just, I'm very curious to see how everybody is going to make the money that they feel like they need to make because everything got violently shoved into 2022 on the TV side. I think that this is a really pivotal time for the Arrowverse series on the CW. I really do. I think that this is a, this is what the future is going to look like kind of scenario, right? Because you've got Naomi that's premiering in January, you've got Superman and Lois, which is going to come back for its second season in January as well. How is Batwoman going to do on that second half of its of its third season? And you've also got, you know, DC's Legends of Tomorrow seems to be the enigma in this whole thing, right? And what does the future hold for the Arrowverse? Because it seems like, you know, Superman and Lois, if it can keep up steam... Seems like it's the heir apparent for the Flash, you know, to take over as that flagship series. Because, I mean, Legends of Tomorrow, I don't think ever wants to be the flagship series anymore. I think that they just like to have fun, do their own thing, and be the one that's not really, you know, bound by anything. But how they're going to shape the future of these shows on the CW is going to be fully determined by a lot of the things that we're going to be seeing in this mid-season point. So I'm, I'm very, very excited to see how that's going to go. I'm actually really stoked for the Naomi series. I think that's going to be neat. I think Peacemaker is going to be really good. Looking forward to that one as well. Looking forward to Resident Alien coming back on Sci-Fi. You probably heard uh, Sarah Tomko and Alice Waterland on the Best Of show last week. Really looking forward to seeing where those characters are going to go. And of course, you know, getting back Alan Tudyk as Harry Vanderspiegel. Nothing wrong with that, right? I'm actually curious to see how Sci-Fi is going to do this year overall and see how what they're going to be bringing to the table and see if they can actually get us a couple of series that aren't going to get canceled after one season because that just seems to be their mo canceling good stuff uh, i think this is a pivotal point for fox as well and any broadcast tv actually and see how they're going to do with the sci-fi genre because it seems like they keep trying and nbc looks like they've got a winner with la brea but can they keep that storyline up and can they keep it interesting is something that I'm very curious about. Or will we see network TV abandon that whole genre entirely? We could see that as well. And I'm trying to figure out how Netflix and Amazon are going to replace some of the series that have just flat out ended at this point, right? How do you move on from The Expanse? How do you move on from Lost in Space if you're Netflix? How do you move on from some of the other shows that have ended at this point and and you know you got to replace these shows with something just that's up to the same caliber right i have no no worry about netflix actually i think netflix has got a good mix of ip and original stuff that they've been bringing to the table as far as comic books series and superhero series and stuff that's going to really bring the genre up a little bit for both sci-fi and the comic book type related stuff i think that they're okay Amazon, I think, would like to be where Netflix is as much as they wouldn't want to admit it. And I think Jack Ryan is another one we got to keep our eye on from Amazon Prime Video. I think we're going to get the new season of Jack Ryan coming up this year. That's one of those shows that, to me, doesn't get talked about nearly enough. 
I loved both of the first two seasons, and that show is just a flat-out winner. And they Amazon needs season two of Carnival Row to be good. I know that they haven't announced a release date for that yet, but that should be coming out in 2022 as well. They need that one to be good because the first season was good at times, then at times also not so much. So I think that they really need that one to be a winner. And, of course, the boys' spinoff series is going to be amazing. That's coming up in 2022 as well as along with the next season of the boys. Yeah, I don't think it's too soon to start looking forward to the next season of The Mandalorian, which is going to be very late in 2022. And we've got so many good Marvel Studios series coming up. I, I mentioned Echo. We've got Miss Marvel as well. I think Secret Invasion will probably come out in 2022 as well. Yeah, there's going to be some good stuff that we have to look forward to, maybe even more than that in 2022. So I think, again, 2022 is going to be the year of the TV, of the TV, whether it be streaming or broadcast. I think that this is another example of how TV is kind of really caught up to movies as far as quality of programming and quality of stuff that we're able to watch. And that's something that I think is going to be the wave of the future, not just in 2022, but beyond that as well. That's going to do it for this week's edition of the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Again, thank you so much for just supporting the show this year. Really, really appreciate that. And of course, thanks to Griffin Santo Pietro for joining me this week. Also follow us on social media as well at down and nerdy seven, five, seven on Twitter and Instagram and at down and nerdy on Facebook as well. And online at down and nerdy Remember you never have to apologize for being a nerd. So let your fan flag fly and be good to your fellow nerds. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available.